Hello everybody and a very warm welcome back to the latest episode of the Vinyl Community Podcast. In this episode we will be discussing record cleaning. This episode is featured by Steve Evans from Perfect Vinyl Forever, Paul and myself Nadine from Soul Disco. So hello everybody and a very warm welcome back to our little vinyl record cleaning solutions talk. I did a talk with Paul Rigby the other week about record cleaning and I got a ton of mails and questions about it. And so I thought I'm doing um, a second part with it. And um, I also during that live stream, some people requested, hey, it would be so great if Steve from Perfect <laughs> from Perfect Vinyl would be joining us and answer some questions. And I also have Paul uh, with me here on board, who is also very experienced in uh, record cleaning from a collector's point of view. And we will have little discussions about this. I collected all your questions. We are trying to answer them all as best as we can and see how it goes from there. So thanks, guys, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for Thank having you. us. <laughs> so the first thing I got, because I got an email about this whole record cleaning fuss and everything, is that somebody wrote, well, why should I clean my record? I absolutely see no use in it. If I buy new records, they look clean. I play them. I have new issues. And also with old records I buy from secondhand stores, they if they look clean or if they're a little dusty, I use a brush and I have no issues. Why all this fuss about record cleaning? So the... The core question there is, do I truly need to clean my records? And, and uh, even though I run a record cleaning service, I would say no. Uh, as a matter of fact, many people shouldn't clean their records. And the, reason go, and the reason for that is there's a lot of record cleaning methods today that actually will do more harm than good to your records over time. So... You should clean your records if you want to achieve a few things. Improve sound quality, lower surface noise, and, and uh, extended longevity of the record. Um, but to do that, you need to dedicate yourself, even as a home cleaner, you need to dedicate yourself to a process to ensure that no downsides or there's no negative uh, unintended consequences of your record cleaning process. And we can talk about a little bit uh, into this conversation, we'll talk about what are some good practices, uh, what are things to avoid, um, what type of levels or tiers of record cleaning can you do in your home? You know, because just like audiophiles and music lovers and record enthusiasts, there's a wide spectrum of uh, uh, budgets that we're working with. So, you know, let's, let's talk about an entry-level solution, mid-tier, and then perhaps the ideal. So, so Paul, from your perspective, uh, thanks, Steve. I was a little shocked when you said you don't need to clean your records. And I was like, well, uh, sometimes when I'm getting records that are super dirty, I absolutely need to clean records. And also with new records, um, when I play them and I put the needle back on, I see there's a lot of dust around the needle. So for me, it was always thing to clean records with one way or the other paul how's your opinion about this yeah definitely we are listening music uh, on the worst uh, medium ever in history i would say uh, we are using vinyl and it's exposed to dust to mm -hmm. i don't know fingerprints uh, uh, grease uh, paper scuffs and so on we are looking into 
ways to improve the sound quality uh, as end users. And I'm talking from this perspective because my experience restarted to say so like three years ago when I got back to vinyl during the COVID times when pretty much we all got stuck into apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to look for ways to improve my, my sound quality. Okay, obviously as a, a person who just started to listen to vinyl, the first thing that you rediscover is crackling. Uh, I don't know, all kind of sounds, weird sounds, probably the the, the turntable is not uh, well set up and so on. So it's a journey. It's a very long process. And I tell to everyone that in the last three years, I discovered more about vinyl and vinyl communities and how they work and pressings and so on than I discovered at work in my day-to-day life. So I had the most intensive three years about vinyl uh, research and how it goes and how it gets cleaned out. Overall, I had a discussion with Danny Kay, who mentored me in a direction that I think I find it very good. I ended up with the Greeter MK2 mm-hmm. um, as, a, as being based in Romania, perfect vinyl forever will only work for me in case of uh, a Kogan. Leonid Kogan record that I have uh, and I find it somehow quite precious and probably I will send it to him. It's a 50s, 60s record. It's a very old Japanese pressing. It's a mono and uh, in addition I would like to add something. I discovered that mono pressings that are very old make sense of being listened to a mono cartridge because the noise floor is way reduced. This is the last discovery that I had from our last chat uh, over Discord, uh, uh, Nadine. It's different in many ways, the sound. And uh, I had a blast listening to the same record, which was, of course, cleansed multiple times. Uh, the cracklings disappeared. However, I had multiple issues in uh, in uh, in the grooves that uh, I could not uh, reduce as a noise floor. So I'm talking from a non-user perspective with lots of different <coughs> kinds that I ended up uh, playing with in the last three years. This is my uh, my feedback that I will have. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm still on. Yes, I got, you are still uh, on. I got a call. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, this is what I ended up uh, in the last three years. This is what I have so far. It's my experience and I can talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So, so Steve, what would be so I got mails, like I said before, also with surfactants. Uh, surf, 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 surf I hope I spelled that correct. This is always what I have issues with. Surfactants. So, surfactants, yes. Surfactants. Oh, holy cow. So, and um, some people say, oh, you absolutely need to use alcohol. Other people say, oh, don't use alcohol at all. It causes harm. Don't use a fluid at all. Only use the brush. Um, other people say only use dishwasher. Um, other people say use dishwasher with alcohol. Um, Turgitol, uh, Turgitol, Turgiclean is the new thing. And, and my highlight was when somebody said I use this <laughs> WD-40 as a way to clean my records. And what, what is your opinion about this whole discussion? So when we really, I mean, there's clearly some things we need to talk about that are truly harmful to do to your records. And, and we'll, so we'll circle back to WD-40 in just a moment. Yes. Um, I think people will start to understand how to get the best results taking care of their records by taking a process-oriented approach to it. Um, 
you can get benefits by buying a ultrasonic or a vacuum record cleaning machine for your home use and, um, you know, kind of do a show, uh, you know, use it as it's intended. Um, and you can get good benefits or good outcomes with that. Um, when it comes to very dirty records, um, getting those in the best playable condition, uh, it's not much different than cleaning uh, your your dishware, your kitchenware, uh, dinner plates uh, in in your t- wash tub at your sink. Um, the dirtier they are, the more time, the more time required to get them clean again. Um, and then also, you know, how do you maintain your records so that they don't that they don't get back into that state? So going back to should you clean your records? Um, very dirty records, of course, because you're cleaning records to protect your stylus as well. Uh, so you'll need to have some way to do that. Um, if the record is very dirty, there are um, small devices that you can get on Amazon that clamp around the label so that you can effectively hand wash your records and then rinse them. And when you have a very dirty record, that's probably a good approach. Um, To step up from there, I I truly recommend that you use at least distilled water to do that because regular tap water has a lot of minerals in it that once dried will actually generate more surface noise, more pops and clicks and crackles in your record. And that's, of course, what we're trying to eliminate. So a preliminary washing of very dirty records is necessary. But let's let's talk about how we do that in a, in a safe and beneficial way. Um, for new records, um, the, the very first thing you should do is, if you don't already, invest in a carbon fiber bristled brush um, and use this before every play. This is pretty effective at getting most of the surface contaminants off your record, and therefore it doesn't interfere with your stylus and it doesn't actually get pushed down into the groove where it becomes very challenging to remove. So this particular brand is AudioQuest, um, available globally, um, and it has a nice feature because carbon fiber bristles are conductive, electrically, electrically conductive, they go into this pad, and when you hold it with your fingers, some static electricity can actually drain off the record and then into you um, safely, of course. Uh, and that helps you know, control pops and clicks generated by static electricity from the surface of the record going into your signal path. So that would be step number one. Use that. And if you have brand new records and you're not going to really in, um, invest the time into a proper cleaning process, I'd stay right there. Um, because if you start wet cleaning your records using something like commercially available solution and either a velvet or other type of brush, um, I, I really recommend against doing that. Matter of fact, one of my rules um, is don't get your records cleaned. Uh, don't wet clean your records unless you have a, a device to actually extract all the cleaning solutions off the record. So that would either be with a vacuum record cleaning machine of various types, which can be quite affordable and uh, allows a DIYer to do a good job, or using ultrasonic cavitation to clean the record. Okay, one question is, um, it's you, you say that because I can't get 100% sure that I get the liquid off the record without a vacuum or uh, um, like, a, like I said, uh, ultrasonic cleaning who has air uh, busting over this uh, record. But some people say I use a microfiber cloth 
I'm doing each side and then it also is dry. So from your experience, this is not working. Well, I think that's fine. It's probably similar to the you know results you'll get with a carbon fiber brush. Uh, a microfiber towel is uh, quite not. Matter of fact, I have several right here. They're, they're non-abrasive, generally, if they're clean. Um, and that can help sweep up some surface contaminants or surface stuff off the record. But a microfiber cloth is not going to get into the groove and lift up um, any of the dust inside of the groove. But for that matter, neither does this little brush and neither does this velvet brush either. Um, the, the, the structure of a groove is, I think it's about 30 microns on the top and about five microns in size going down below. The finest bristles are, you know, like 20 microns in size. So it's not truly getting into the groove of the record. And if you use a, a wet, clean solution and brush, what's happening, Nadine, is the, some contaminants will come off on the brush but the finer contaminants are now wet, the brush, the bristles, or the velvet can't get into the groove to pull that out. Now you've got wet contaminants that are unreachable. They dry, they harden, and they become very difficult to remove. And like later on, if you were to invest in a, in a vacuum or ultrasonic record cleaning machine. So that's the core reason why we say don't wet clean your records unless you have a way to extract the, the cleaning solutions and the suspended contaminants out from the groove. So is there a chance later on, let's say, okay, I hand cleaned my records the way I shouldn't be doing this, what I've just learned. And a couple of years later, I have the possibility to get myself an ultrasonic cleaning machine or an Okinoki or what kind of machine to get that off. You said it's difficult to get um, to get this uh, get this off the record, which has been there for years, which are wet cleaned and not could really get off. Yeah. What do I need to do to make sure if this is even possible to get the rest of this stuff out of the record? Do I need to clean it 10 times? Do I need to use a certain solution? So there are limitations to what even the best record cleaning process and equipment can achieve. Mm -hmm. right. um, if you get too aggressive cleaning your records, you'll then start to do more damage than improvements along the way. So sometimes, you know, like Paul said, it's it's probably one of the most flawed media that we happen to be passionate about. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you just have to live within its limitations and then enjoy the music as uh, despite some of the uh, surface imperfections or surface noise that you have to listen through. Um, the nice thing is if you are doing a really good job ultrasonic cleaning your records, sometimes the the music itself can be transcended above any lingering surface noise due to uh, contaminants that simply can't be removed. Uh, so that is a benefit and we can speak a little bit later if you wanna talk specifically about ultrasonics, how they work uh, and, and some best practices in using those types of machines. Yes, sure. uh, in, in addition, I would like to add something because we are talking about the precious things that we own, okay? Some of them may be more expensive than others. Now we are living in a connected world where everything uh, it's a click away and you can see the value of your good that you are uh, owning. Um, I'm running my experience based on statistics, meaning that my degreeter, for example, did a very, very good job at, let's say, 
80-85%, maybe 90%, maybe 95% of a weekly batch that I clean. So this uh, sends me to thinking that the the process that Degritter uh, is doing its job, um, it's very good. Meaning that for most of the records that we buy, most of the records that we uh, buy from the second markets that are probably... Uh, used a bit let's say they got listened to they stood on the turntable for uh, several weeks with some dust on them and so on if we are talking about this kind of uh, uh, vinyl there would be there wouldn't be any issues in cleaning it with just distilled water it's my experience and to my ears nothing changed in the in the uh, in the listening process except it got improved and the, uh, the record was extremely, extremely quiet. I had no issues with that. This sends me to the, the next experience where I started to purchase from a local store, uh, which I dearly, uh, I, I, I highly recommend it, but I, I will not say the name here. Probably I will do a, a review on that. Uh, they import Japanese records on a large scale, meaning tens of thousands of records on a monthly basis, okay? They get their records from different kinds of places where they got stored for many, many years, even 40, 50 years. So mm -hmm. we are talking about extremely old records that either got cleansed with, um, not cleansed, treated with anti-fungi uh, uh, solutions, sprays and uh, things like that to avoid uh, molding. Uh, molding is an issue in Japan. We mm -hmm. all know it's a humid country. They have uh, issues with uh, with uh, molding from from this uh, for this reason. So they found all the ways to treat their records in some way. They had issues in big places where they stored multiple records. I don't know tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of uh, thousands of records in one place, and they got issues. Of course, they were not able to treat all the records one by one. They had to do something to work in the uh, in the container or where they stored the, the records. Those are the records that created issues to me. They get stick, uh, the inner sleeve gets uh, stuck on the record once you take it out. Mm -hmm. Things like this. They got treated with all kinds of solution over time. Uh, some of them were never opened. Uh, you get them sealed. The most probable cause of something that doesn't get out of the record may be a guest record. And probably you all heard by looking on over the internet on Steve Hoffman or some forum or somewhere that usually because of the inner sleeve being plastic, it gets uh, the record guest. That is the worst case where you can find yourself. Still, some records may work being cleansed. It, it may be a solution to them, but uh, that is the the, the small percentage where I have issues cleaning with ultrasonic cleaning and needing uh, mechanical friction like spleen clean or something, uh, some brush with, uh, with small fiber inside that gets uh, the dirt out. After using the ultrasonic cleaning, what it worked for me was the uh, Ramar uh, from Berlin, the Ramar brush, which I... Yeah. Happily own it because uh, I won it over an Instagram contest, so I'm, I, I, I'm very proud of owning one. But uh, usually, ultrasonic cleaning, even with only distilled water, it worked for me like charm. Really, this very is nice. Not bad. 
Can, can I stop for a second? Um, I'd like to grab a prop. Um, yeah, sure. Because I can tie back to where Paul was at uh, as yeah. far as cleaning very pre-cleaning very dirty records, which is a great point. Yes. And yes. in the meantime, Paul, a guest yeah. a guest record, which is mostly happening when you have these old PVC thick plastic yes. sleeves, so the guessing happens, and you see that on the vinyl, it's like cloudy everywhere. Yes, absolutely. Does, yes. does it have an impact? on the sound quality because really? I, I don't have an experience with that but i've it heard did. yeah yes. okay yes it does um the surface noise the, yeah the, the the noise floor is quite enhanced i mean you hear it everywhere at the point uh, where you have this kind of issue okay. and also um for the extremely old records again i apply this uh, the, the the percentage aspect that I, I got uh, used to, if it's really noisy, if it's really having issues, I would try getting another one yeah. just to take my mind out uh, and have a comparison. Maybe the press was not good enough. Maybe it was extremely dirty and it put the dirt in the press, uh, in, the, in, the, in the grooves. It may be the case. You can find paper uh, pressed with the, uh, within the groove taken out from the label being pushed away with the press in the groove. You can find all kinds of things, but molding, and for, especially for molding and for home usage, you can try having a, like 28, 30, 31 maybe degrees temperature because the mold will just fall off the record. That is something that I experience all the time. You get a moldy record, you see white spots everywhere. It's not an issue. You just put it in the record cleaning machine it will take the uh, the mold away just with the temperature thing. It will fall off. And probably Steve will confirm this if he encounters such issues. Ab absolutely. Um, yeah. one, one question, Steve. Do you have also experience with cloudy records from these old PVC sleeves yeah. um, where you get this? Do you have a solution to, to get that away? No. No, I've tried a number of different approaches. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes those swirl marks that pick up the ripples of the yeah. PVC sleeves are only cosmetic and they actually don't generate a lot of noise. But then I've also heard records that certainly have some sound quality issues due okay. to that. That's truly not reversible. And it actually ties into um, you know, some comments about using WD-40. Yeah. What happens is when, when a PVC sleeve which has a high degree of plasticizers in it, more than a record, um, was used back in the day. They didn't realize that over time it would continue to off-gas these um, uh, vapors that are actually um, a solvent for vinyl. Uh, so these off-gases, when they contact the vinyl, they make permanent marks that simply can't be, um, can't be reversed, uh, which is another reason, you know, kind of gets back, you know, several minutes ago when you asked about all the different uh, cleaning solutions that people can consider. You know, there's essentially detergents and surfactants, that's one group. There's rinsing solutions, and then to another cleaning agent is, um, you know, uh, like a solvent, like a petroleum distillate. Solvents really aren't compatible with records. The one ex ex uh, exception that I use in just like the, the most extreme situations where the record is already unplayable 
And unless we can get like some um, synthetic residue, like uh, like a little rubbery, sticky substance off the record, you can gently use lighter fluid uh, and it won't affect the, the surface of the record. But you want to use a small amount, put it on a cotton swab, gently swab up on where the um, yeah. uh, where the uh, rubbery or the, the inorganic contaminant is. And, and then clean it right away, you know, so min, m- minimize the exposure there. Um, WD-40 has other petroleum distillates in it. So whatever advantages they think they're getting by cleaning their records, be, they might think it's a clean record because it's shiny. Okay, it might be shiny, but we're listening to our records. We're not looking at them. So that's, that's a big issue. When yeah. I am in a record store, and, and I was like, that was a super shiny record. And I was like, wow. And I played it and it sounded like crap. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, um, the guy in the record store, uh, the owner told me, well, uh, he, he got a whole bunch of these super shiny records. He bought them because he thought they looked tremendously well. But then he said he found out that the guy sprayed, um, when you clean your, your tires on a car, that they use this kind of spray to make it look shiny. And it totally ruined it. They were shining bright, like yeah. new. And they used this kind of spray to make it look like that. And you couldn't get rip off it. And I a said, very, why are you telling me this? But, uh, you know, but yeah. A very well cleaned record should look a little bit dull. Um, because what anything that's reflective and, sh- and creates a shine on a record is something that sits on the surface of the record. Mm-hmm. And what the ideal outcome of cleaning records is that you want to get everything down to the base PVC or vinyl layer of the record. Um, so any topical solutions like Groove Glide, that sits on top of the record. It obscures sound, but it also can um, you know, help embed the dust that's inevitable uh, when you're handling a record. And that, again, becomes really hard. It, it, it holds the dust with a stronger bond than just a as-pressed record. So shiny records, that shouldn't be a desired outcome. You want a clean record. You want it very clean sounding as well. If, um, if I can step back to yep. our conversation, the topic of pre-treating really dirty records, I have a tip for you guys that I think will be helpful for you and your audience. I mentioned earlier that there's this label protector that you can get on Amazon, and I'm pretty sure it's worldwide uh, available, not just US. What's nice about this is that you clamp the record between these two pucks and it has an O-ring on it. And this particular set is pretty cool because it's got one side for seven inch records where the label's a little bit smaller. And on the other side, uh, the O-ring is sized for for 10 and 12 inch records. Nice. Basically put the record in between and then it comes with a knob, threaded rod, hold it together, clamp it down. Now you are you can safely soak your records. And that's really, really helpful because go back to the dinner plate analogy. If, the, if, if you've got a pan uh, that, you, that you cooked in and you got baked on um, ingredients, well, typically you just soak that pan for a few hours, the ingredients soften, lift into the solution, and then all your cleaning steps downward are more effective. Same thing happens for soaking really dirty records. Um, as part of our disaster recovery 2.0 process, which is an addition to our standard 
process that we offer. Um, we will soak records for 12 to 24 hours, depending on their state. Wow. Uh, it's in a solution that has, you know, some detergents and surfactants in it. Um, and that really gives the detergents a, a chance to loosen up any embedded um, contaminants on the record. The surfactants also help reduce the surface tension of the water, which helps get the water evenly coating inside of the groove as well. Otherwise, just regular distilled water has a very high surface tension and the water, there'll be like bubbles between um, the water and the surface of the record and you're not getting that deep cleaning action. Uh, what you would want to do from there after soaking your records, you would wanna take a brush and, and try and uh, agitate the solution on the surface of the record. That agitation is actually what pulls the contaminants up out of the groove. It's not the bristle of the brush. So you might actually think of your wet cleaning brushes as agitators and not brushes. And that gives you the, a better picture of what's happening and so that you can you know, get better results yeah. at home. Steve, did you ever, concerning your, your, your disaster recovery program, which I, I, I saw that on the website, which I thought was a, was a great idea. Did you ever had clients who said, well, I was under the impression, Steve, that you could re remove scratches with this process. I wish we could. Uh, it's a common question. Um, but think of what a scratch on the surface of the record actually mm -hmm. is. It's the removal of material. Yeah. Yeah. So until, uh, you know, we get to a point where we can actually use lasers to fuse new material onto the groove itself, um, nobody can truly reverse the yeah. impact of scratches. Now, using ultrasonic cleaning, you can improve or diminish the effect, sonic, the sonic effect of a scratch. And that's because a lot of scratches will have burrs on the edge where it kind of goes across all the, groo the groove ridges in the record. Um, and if you can remove some of those burrs, sometimes you can get a better sounding record, but you're truly not reversing or, or repairing scratches. But the thing with the laser sounds very interesting. Imagine you have an original blue note, I don't know, whatever. They are all scratched and you're using this laser and you, you can remove scratches. That, well, that'd be awesome, but I, I don't think anybody's gone there yet. That was just no. more of an example. Um, lasers yeah. tend to remove material, not necessarily yeah. use it. But, you know, if somebody, some really brilliant person put their mind to it, microscopically being able to fuse new, new uh, vinyl particles to repair a groove, that's a pretty exciting thought. Um, so, I don't know, maybe 20, 20, 30, somebody will have a good, good solution. Wow. <laughs> that sounds Steve, great. I have a question. I'm walking in this journey uh, together with uh, my brother. So we experience together, we exchange opinions, we uh, do all kinds of experience where we, we can and uh, it, it's being allowed by the, uh, the surface that we can play with. So we have bad records that basically we just wash them multiple times. We try to take the dust out and so on. And I was trying to ask you, in fact, if there is any damage to the uh, vinyl done, if you have uh, multiple uh, washes, like let's say five in a row, mm. or sure. uh, um, if it works, we have a theory, it's purely empirical uh, theory that we have, that if we leave the, uh, we wash the record, we dry it, we keep it for several days, 
we hope that the dust inside will dislocate in some way from the groove and the next wash will take it out and so on. It's just something that we haven't tested because we don't have yet the, uh, the microscope to, to, to check in a specific groove where we know exactly that we have dust and we cannot take it out, okay? Sure. So the question is, if you have multiple uh, washes, do you get out, do you have chances to get out the dirt or you have chances of destroying the record in some way, in some parts? Yeah, so the answer, so one of my favorite answers to start a conversation is it really does depend. Uh, it depends on a couple different factors, Paul. If your process leaves your records truly residue-free, then there's very little harm in, in washing them multiple times over, whether you're trying to achieve a better sonic quality or whether you're trying to re remove contaminants. Um, when we come up with a new process at PVF, we do what's called a 10x test. And what we do is we run a single record through the process 10 times, or we extend the time that it's in any given stage of the process. Uh, that way we know that repeat cleanings or, you know, that really would surface um, if we're doing any long-term damage to the record with a new innovation that we're testing. Um, so typically if your records end up being very completely free of residue, you're okay to re-clean them multiple times. Um, you know, the forever part of Perfect Vinyl Forever is part of our value proposition. Uh, once we've cleaned your records, as long as you do not wet clean them again, you don't need to re-clean your records over and over again, unless there's some handling mishap. Like you're taking an exposed record to your turntable, you're talking to your friends, a little happens to all of us, a little bit of spittle comes out. Yeah. Uh, then that could cause a pop and you're going to want to try and clean that again with a, a good wet cleaning process. But other than that, when we optimize the records and when you optimize your records at home with a degridder, um, you really don't need to re-clean it after or before every play. And actually, it's, it's during the cleaning process that you risk doing long-term damage, primarily by not getting it absolutely clean, um, which is one of the key outcomes of... Um, cleaning records, uh, if you want the best result, you have to ensure that you're rinsing incredibly well. So going back to the, the different detergents and turgidols and, and um, all the different solutions that people use, most of them aren't going to be harmful if you really, really rinse them well. Put five times the effort in rinsing your records as you do cl the cleaning step of your records, and you will have records that will last much longer. It'll also help your stylist because you're not getting any of that cleaning residue transferred from the surface of your record to your stylus. Um, so, yeah, a couple thoughts there. Um, so back to you, Nadine. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm thinking about now, I have a degrid as well. I have the Mark 1. Um, uh, saving up for the Mark 2. So Degrita, if you're watching, mm -hmm. I'm open for sponsorship. No. <laughs> so I was thinking about when I'm getting a dirt record. So um, I bought the Degrita because I wanted to have something simple. I get a very dirty record because I'm buying used one records. I'm, I'm hardly having any audiophile records. If I look at Paul's shelf, I'm stunned. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you. 
So, so I get these really dirty records who were in a basement for a couple of years. So I clean them with my degritter. Um, they have a heavy mode, which is about, I think, eight minutes, six to eight minutes. I'm not sure. I clean this several times. And also with the degritter solution, which I think has a little tint of, of alcohol in it to, to um, check for the water and helps to dry everything. And now I'm thinking like, do I destroy my records with cleaning it multiple times on this heavy program? Um, unlikely. Um, first of all, I, I, I really do like the degrader. I think that's uh, probably one of the best design machines that a person could buy and use in their home. Mm -hmm. um, and we can talk about ultrasonic frequencies in a moment, but the higher the ultrasonic frequency, the better it's going to do, uh, the better the, the uh, record cleaning machine will do with improving the overall sonics of the record. Um, and that's a lot what a lot of people are looking for. So if you have records in good condition or brand new records, uh, if that's the predominant uh, type that you have in your collection, the degrader is a great choice. Um, going back to should you use detergents and surfactants, whether it's hand cleaning, vacuum record cleaning machine, or ultrasonic. For ultra, in the case of ultrasonic, they provide significant benefits. So the primary um, benefit is it, it, it helps remove the contaminants and put them into the cleaning solution. Another big benefit is it reduces the surface tension of the record uh, of the water. And what it, that has two primary benefits to it. One, it allows, as mentioned before, that the solution can actually sheet and really get coat the surface of the record. And if you can't get the, um, the water to coat the surface of the record, there is no ultrasonic um, implosions going on. And therefore it's not, the, the bubbles aren't really getting into the groove. So that's beneficial. But as I mentioned earlier, if you're using detergents, you have to really rinse well. Now, I, I believe that the degritter has a removable tank uh, mm -hmm. I would recommend getting two tanks for your degrader, one for the cleaning solution, one for rinsing solution. Uh, and so once you've cleaned the record, swap your tanks and then maybe do one or two cycles uh, in a rinsing uh, with the rinsing uh, tank. And you should have a very nicely cleaned residue free record when you do that. How much time, because somebody wrote me that they have a whole cleaning chain. So unlike me, they're having a spin cleaner where they uh, do that a couple of times. Then they use uh, the dish uh, washing method with distilled water. Then they're using certain methods. So somebody wrote me that they're using three hours to clean one record. Hmm. Um, that's dedication, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was done like three hours for one for one record, and it's not like that he said, it's my pristine record or my super grail records. It's like everything I do with every new record I'm getting, every old record, I do this whole same process. So I, I don't think you need to spend three hours cleaning every record. Uh, there's certainly effective ways to do that in a shorter period of time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, some people just feel good by doing a really involved process. They, they're rest assured that they've done everything they can to make their record sound as good as it can um, and last as long as it can. So I applaud the gentleman. Um, I'm sure if, if we looked a little more closely at the different steps that he's using, we could probably find some, some efficiencies. Contrast that when I'm cleaning a, uh, a record, a really dirty record for a client, 
we can take up to 24 and a half hours to clean the record. Um, but that's cheating. That's a little bit misleading because we're soaking the record for up to 12 hours. That's a hands-off okay. thing. But then, you know, we, we clean it uh, as part of the disaster recovery process in a uh, commercial ultrasonic record cleaning machine that's true dual frequency. So it's at 40 and 80 kilohertz. And that's a frequency that's really good about breaking or, um, you know, really agitating and getting those uh, softened but still embedded contaminants off the record and into the solution. Then we do a quick dunk into a ultra pure tank of water. And then we go through our archival process, which takes about 50 minutes to, to go through per record. So, so you mentioned this disaster process you are having. When is it necessary for people to use the disaster recovery process? So a um, couple different situations. One, water damage records, mold damage records, as, as Paul mentioned. Um, the more time those records can soak, the better the overall outcomes will be. Um, I get people who have some really rare records that have paper fragments stuck to them because of water damage. The only good way of getting those off is really soaking that record first, then maybe wiping those paper fragments off, soak it again, and then go through you know, your, your scrubbing and then ultimately your rinsing process. Um, that tends to be really, really effective. Wow. Oh, one I, other thing, old records where there's not a lot of visible damage, um, but it certainly plays with a lot of cracks and pops, um, then doing a, a real protracted deep clean before you go through your standard cleaning process is beneficial. Perfect example is I get a bunch of Led Zeppelin II Robert Ludwig pressings. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of them have seen better days. And the owner's sending, he's like, this is the best copy I could afford. I'm not looking for a miracle, but is there anything you can do to, to help make it sound better? And we'll make the record sound as good as it possibly can. But the scratches and all the other, um, you know, scars from <laughs> prior ownership, tend to uh, tend to be un not reversible. So, um, but that's a good example. They want the best sound reduction possible and surface noise reduction possible. And that's where a really good pre-cleaning uh, process, like Paul, you use the uh, spin clean. Um, same thing. I also recommend if you, even if you have a rec uh, ultrasonic record cleaning machine, you could consider getting um, a vacuum record cleaning machine because that makes pre-cleaning really dirty records a whole lot easier and it's really effective of softening and then extracting all those suspended contaminants. Yes. So let's talk about somebody with, with a budget. Okay. So, you know, you have to, the, the gritter is I think $3,000 now. And um, so getting a, a vacuum cleaner, I know the Okinoki, for example, who's uh, with vacuum was my first uh, professional cleaning uh, machine. So this is very, cost intensive is there a way to get at least decent results with on budget absolutely um i i come from a, a do-it-yourself background when it comes to modifying improving vintage sterile equipment and this turns out to be a i need a record cleaning machine uh, for my own use and it kind of well, well got a little out of hand let's say um <laughs> And I completely respect that people want the best results without having, you know, several hundred, even thousands of dollars to invest. Mm -hmm. You can find more do-it-yourself solutions out there. 
all this equipment, fairly uh, costly equipment, helps make your process more efficient and brings a little bit better results, but there's a lot you can do yourself. So this, these clamps that I talked about, they are roughly $50 US um, available on Amazon. So that's a pretty nominal investment. So after you soak your records with those clamps, now um, you wanna extract uh, all those contaminants off. You can get, um, I forget the name of it, but it's a wand, uh, it's like a tube, a PVC tube, with felt strips on it that you attach to uh, your own vacuum cleaner. And that's definitely under $100. And that is a good, even though it's manually intensive and time intensive, that is a good way to get into better care for your records. So we're already under $100. You can, you can use, say, if you wanna start with dishwashing uh, detergent and make your own solutions, you can do pretty well for yourself by you know starting there. That's a nominal cost. Uh, and then buying distilled water to make sure that you are um, really getting all those uh, um, detergents off the record and using your record cleaning vac wand. That's a pretty good process. And it might take you 60 minutes to do a really dirty record, but you have the basic tools to start. Do you have a recipe for a solution so somebody says i'm on the budget what could be a good recipe so i try not to overcomplicate things um, the recipes that are ideal for me aren't ideal for home use because i've got a very specialized process and equipment uh, but you can do a lot of decent research on <clears throat> excuse me online to find out how many drops per liter of Turgotol, or if, if you're starting really simply dishwashing detergent, do you put in to have good cleaning, but you really don't want to over concentrate your cleaning solutions. That just makes it harder to rinse and it increases the risk of leaving a residue. Um, so I would check on some reputable forums, um, ask some friends who have some homebrew solutions. You know, there are, there are companies where they do sell concentrate, uh, that you can mix your own. You can think about you going that direction, uh, but you can you can start pretty simply and inexpensively uh, by making your own solutions. Paul, do you have an own solution, or do you use the Gritter solution, or how how do you do it? Uh, I used it initially when I purchased the the device. Then I stopped using it because there was there were some rumors on the Gritter uh, group uh, on Facebook that. The degreeter uh, solution may be susceptible for uh, not being too careful with the surface of the record, and maybe it's advisable not to be used. So and I you said, tell me now, after five years of using the degreeter, no, 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 you no. tell me now. No, it was it was a rumor spread uh, on uh, on Facebook uh, okay. degreeter group yeah. based on someone's uh, experience, but uh, there was no uh, no real. Uh, uh, no real issue with it. And then I got back to using it. Initially, I stopped uh, using it because it was making too much foam and I did not mm -hmm. understand exactly if it's good or bad. So uh, obviously, I had to adapt by using uh, this tool, which is okay. It's for lazy people. It's automated. It does the work. But still, you need to get ac acquainted very well with it and uh, see exactly how it behaves. There were also, and this is just for purely... Uh, non-technical uh, people that don't have the gritter um, sometimes you don't hear the sprays of the bubbles uh, injecting uh, bubbles into into record um, 
I experienced only once this kind of issue. I checked online and I got scared because everyone was saying, okay, uh, your product is not working well, send it to the gritter and so on. It wasn't the case. I had many other experiences where everything worked just fine. So I had to skip this part. Um, but usually it's trial and error. And I have some takeaways, my takeaways from this discussion. I wouldn't overuse all kinds of methods that I get to read over uh, the internet or uh, uh, take from as advices from people. I would just stay to my percentage, if you ask me. If it gets cleansed well, if it looks good, if it sounds good and the percentage is very high, then the records are good and they are cleansed well by the, the machine. If they don't get very well, uh, uh, if, they, if they don't get clean, or I don't know if you still he uh, hear different kind of sounds on the record, like cracklings and the usual stuff, uh, I call it uh, French fries sound. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, uh, that is an issue. And probably I wouldn't try all the solutions to fix it that I have at hand because I might damage the record. So probably if it's an expensive record or some dear record to me that I don't find anymore, I will probably send it to Steve because Steve so far seems to be the champion of um, difficult missions to get the uh, record clean. Okay, because so he gets all the difficult cases, I think, when you have no idea and you tried everything yourself because yes. you said, no, I want to save money. You say, okay, now I need to, to send it to Steve because you also have these great mailers uh, I've seen on the internet. Perfect. Yes. So you, you need to send it to Steve because uh, he needs to fix it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's the most challenged uh, person with a company of uh, specialized in cleaning records, I'm quite sure that he ends up with really difficult and dirty records that well, customers would expect. And probably he has some testimonials or something on his website. I haven't checked, but I'm quite sure that he receives all the difficult missions from people that clearly want to save a record uh, from dust and from, uh, I don't know, cracklings and all, all the others. And I'm quite sure that his industrialized process may be useful for people that usually aim to rip uh, disks into digital files or things like that and get them as clean as possible. I'm, I have this hunch that some of them would like to have a perfectly clean, clean record in order to do something with it, not just listen to it. Uh, but it's just my hunch. I mean, it's don't take it as a, a clear source. But um, I would like to ask Nadine. Please. Nadine, how do you... I mean, it's the second video that you do over the degreter uh, topic and ways to clean it and things like this. How do you see this experience of yours of getting record clean? So the, 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 the most important thing for me was to um, serve, save the, the record because yeah. I'm always looking for sometimes very rare records. And for me, it's, it's important to get them clean to not damage them further because I've also um, read that um, if you play a dirty record and sometimes it can be very heated and if you are unlucky, something can melt within the vinyl. I don't know if this is true. I can't imagine that it's getting so hot that you can do this, but I wanted to save 
the vinyl and i also have um, not the cheapest cartridge on at least not for me for in my pricing uh, for for uh, on my system so i wanted to make sure that i don't damage the needle and i'm not damaging the the vinyl and for me it was uh, very important to do that because like i said i get sometimes records which were in basements that it, there were sand particles on it it was absolutely absolutely dirty so for me it was necessary to clean the records and when i got into this topic i was like holy cow what did i open like science really somebody says do this and the next one says oh please don't do this uh, so you you it's it's very very difficult to find a way to go through this and then i heard about the the grid i was having the okinoki and the thing with the okinoki is it's a manual process i had great results with the okinoki at least i'm not an audiophile person but for my ears it sounded good but the thing was i have quite a few records and every night after work i was putting it on the okinoki was putting on the the liquid on it and i had this brush and i was like falling asleep next to it and then i had to turn the racket and do it again and mm -hmm. i was yeah. like oh my god and then uh, the solution with the degritter came but i get more and more the impression that i need to do a pre-clean in some way or the other because the, the tank there is a little dust uh, on the ground and it's very difficult to remove that from the tank and so I know I need to do a pre-claim to have a better result in, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that that'll be very beneficial. Yeah. Back, so when I when we first started our conversation, I said there's there's three primary outcomes. There's surface noise reduction, there's sonic improvement, and then there is longevity. I think we've covered mm -hmm. longevity pretty well. Vacuum record cleaning machines are really good at um, surface noise reduction. Mm -hmm because they, they extract those contaminants out. Uh, and then if you rinse really thoroughly, get all that rinse water out and then effectively dry in a dust-free area, um, that's, that's highly effective. Uh, a few ways you can improve on that is doing a pre-soak and then doing a vacuum clean and then doing an ultrasonic clean. So ultrasonic cleaners, it can improve surface noise but what they really excel at is removing the manufacturing residue that's on the surface of every record pressed since 1948. There's a surface residue. Some used to call it mold release. That's, that's an incorrect term. Um, but it is those, those softeners, those plasticizers that is added to the core PVC polymer to form the biscuit. And that biscuit, when subjected to 350 or 350 tons, no, 350 degrees, 15 tons um, of pressure that causes the weaker bonds of the plasticizers to migrate to the surface of the record. That does then indeed help the release of the record from the stampers, but now you have this coating of a hard wax on the surface of the record. If you choose not to do anything with it, your records are going to be fine. You can play them and enjoy them and, and just do basic best practice for handling. But if you want to reveal more nuance of the, of the music, if you want to have more life, better timing of the music, better placement in, in the um, sound stage, all of those really important but really fine details of the music that are sitting in the groove but they're obscured can be removed by using a high-frequency ultrasonic cleaning machine. And that's where the degritter comes in. Um, Lower-frequency ultrasonic clean, cleaning machines, they're good at 
more that contaminant removal process, but because the implosions are not happening on the sidewall of the groove, they're not as effective at really improving the sonic qualities and getting more details out of your record. Um, so each frequency does have bring different benefits, but if you're pre-cleaning with a record, vacuum record cleaning machine, you're, you're getting most of those low frequency ultrasonic cleaning benefits, and then you get the sound optimization on your high frequency ultrasonic cleaning machine. For example, like the Humming Guru, I think has a frequency from around 40 kilohertz, I'm not sure, and, and Grita is having 120 kilohertz. Correct. I'm not sure about the, the Humming Guru. So Humming Guru, um, the uh, KL Audio, you know, a very you know high-end machine uses 40 kilohertz. The Kermis record cleaning machine uses 35. Um, you know, most of those, and I'm not sure what the uh, ADSE audio desk system used for their frequency. I'm pretty sure it was 40. People started building record uh, ultrasonic record cleaning machines using 40 kilohertz transducers. Mm -hmm and generators because that was the most readily available frequency. Mm -hmm. And it does bring benefits. It's just different benefits from the higher frequency. Then Hunting Guru came, excuse me, the degrader came around, uses 120, and that is, you know, brings different benefits than the lower, uh, the lower frequency machines. We leverage all the frequencies for their specific purpose. As I mentioned, as part of our disaster recovery process, Using a 40 and 80 kilohertz dual frequency ultrasonic cleaning machine really does help agitate the surface of the record, bring those contaminants into the solution. Um, that power agitation, a little more intensity is really beneficial because we're going to follow it up with a clean in a 135 kilohertz tank and then a rinse in a 220 kilohertz tank. And so an analogy I use is think of uh, sandpaper. You know, you have very coarse sandpaper for fast removal of, you know, the surface of the wood. And then you have finer grits as you're trying to get a more uh, uh, sophisticated finish on, on the surface of the wood. That's the same thing with ultrasonic frequencies as well. Correct. Wow. So a little, uh, di a little, a little different from this topic is also what I got a ton of emails about is record flattening. Mm. Yep. So, um, people record. said, if you are don't flat the records. If you are flattening the records, uh, you are totally ruined the records. Use a weight, and if it's not working with the weight, throw it away. So this was um, at least the, the the main voice from from the messages that it's got. As I do have an ORB flattener, mm -hmm. and I use it in the light segment, so in the easiest segment to to work with it. And um, I, at least from my ears, didn't have an issue in sound quality. But um, well, what are your guys' experience with record flattening? Do you have experience? Of course, Steve, you have because you offer the service. Mm -hmm. Paul, what about you? Mm, my brother had the, the opportunity to test the most mm, manually based activity to flatten the record put it between two glass you know, two two glass uh, pieces put it in the oven set up the temperature get the record flat of course we didn't risk of doing this with uh, i don't know expensive records or rare records or no we just played 
it got flat. The sound wasn't great. I can tell you that. And it improved as he improved his temperature, uh, constant temperature, uh, sticking to a specific temperature to get it flat and to not affect the grooves and so on. But this is the worst of the worst case where you can sit by flattening a record. The orb is a great tool to, 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 to flatten the records. Also using, but depending on the turntable that you have, using a ring and not flatten the record, just put the ring around the, the, the platter and it will oh, okay. really help. But for that, you need to check exactly what is the platter, uh, the, the platter uh, weight, additional weight that you can put on and so on. It's uh, the mass of the platter and so on. You need to study a bit to see uh, if it's compatible with the, uh, the ring. There are some rings, clear audio, it's making its own uh, rings for their turntables. There are also some other solutions, very well solutions, very good solutions, I would say. So it's also that, but the flattening of the record may good may uh, get you uh, good results. However, I wouldn't count on the record anymore from the perspective of high-end quality, anything that you can expect from that record uh, uh, once you uh, flattened it, okay? Uh, it's just my opinion. I mean, I would not consider that as a totally collectible item uh in terms of uh, uh sound quality because but, i don't know exactly what happens in the group okay now you're going into a record show you find your holy grail it's a used record how can and you sit there and say oh it sounds amazing how can you not know that it has been flattened before how <laughs> can you judge this? definitely you cannot do that especially by eyes or glasses or magnifying glass or something you cannot tell if it's yeah. done or... because i think you shouldn't do that in an oven because in an oven you don't have a constant temperature yeah. It, yeah. you open the door sometimes you look at it so you don't have a constant temperature and then you get, don't get the results you should get so um, yes. there is one thing that needs to be added here not all the records from all years, all generations of records are from the same materials. And that may end up, that may end you up in a place where you try to uh, flatten a record that simply doesn't get flat because of the vinyl that is being used. Mm -hmm. uh, the store owner where I'm buying my Japanese presses from told me that over the years, many uh, recipes of uh, vinyls or I don't know, uh, solutions were applied over the records. Some of them are thicker, some of them are thinner. Mm -hmm. We know 120 grams, 150, 180, 140, 200, 210, if they did not weight it very well, the record and so on. So, yeah. So depending on the on the uh, on the uh, record uh, uh, height, we do hope that you enjoyed or, our latest yeah, interview height, and stay tuned for uh, other exciting texture, episodes here on the Vinyl used, Community Podcast. You get it flat or not? For OGs, as we call them, mm. chances are for you to get them straight and uh, flattened very easily because they are usually how much? 120, 140, maybe. So uh, grams, I'm talking in grams here. So that may, may be helpful uh, with the orb because it will flatten very, very uh, easily. So, so Steve, your take. Does I, do I ruin my records for flattening them? Um, what's my favorite phrase of the day? It depends. 
Uh, yeah. So let's, let's talk about some factors, what best practices for flattening records. And this could be a whole other conversation, Nadine. So I'll touch, I'll kind of hit the highlights. And then if we wanted to reconnect and, and talk specifically about record Absolutely. flattening, I'd be happy to do so. So I have four orb record flattening machines. I've been flattening records for, well, since, let's see, we're in business six years, probably at least four years, we've been offering our flattening service. Just like cleaning records, the better equipment that you have, the better results you're likely to have. And a lot of the do-it-yourself um, approaches to flattening records should only be tried if it's a last resort, meaning the record's not playable or enjoyable due to the fact that it's it's got warps in it. Um, the Orb record flattener, and I think the, the Furu text, which you know, I think were made by Orb back in the day, operate differently than home approaches or lower cost uh, solutions. They only heat the center and the rim of the record. And during the four hour cycle, it takes to slowly heat up the record to a predetermined temperature and then slowly let it cool down. Um, the heat goes from the center and the edge inward, uh, but we're not directly heating the grooved surface at all. And I think that brings a degree of safety that other DIY solutions or lower cost solutions um, may not address. Most of our records have what's called a groove guard, meaning there's a lip at the rim of the record that is higher than the grooved surface of the record. And then same thing with the center of the record. So when you have a record in your orb flattener, you're not even touching the grooves, you're touching the rim and the center only. So they, it's a really well-designed machine and the results are quite predictable, not without risk, but they are quite predictable, they do a good job. And most of my clients, I've flattened thousands of records, most of my clients say uh, have not reported any abnormal um, sound problems that weren't there before. Now there's a couple of um, exceptions. When there's a steep way, uh, curve in a record, um, you'll notice that the circumference of the record stays consistent, and then you've got this hump. The only way that that can happen is that when subjected to heat, a portion of the record expanded, and then when it cooled, it did not contract back down to be flat again. Now, maybe Nadine, you've seen uh, this with your own flattening um, history. When you have that, that, that stretched vinyl and then you flatten it, it doesn't shrink the vinyl. The only, it just changes direction. So it actually takes that, the hump of vinyl and it pushes it outward. So instead of going up and down, your tone arm will go in and out as it tracks the record. Now, usually that doesn't interject um, many sonic artifacts, but if the, if, the, if the curve is steep enough and high enough, that will cause your head shell to shake as it plays back. But honestly, most of the records that would have that as, a, as an artifact of flattening aren't playable in the first place. So there's really no risk with that particular record. <clears throat> excuse me. I would say that of, excuse me. No worries. 
I've been there. I mean, I have this kind of record that uh, Steve is talking about. A constant bump on the record that I get and the moving uh, arm uh, as the, the bump is being hit by the, the styling. So uh, I've been there with this experience. Um, I would say 80% of the records that we flatten turn out really nicely. Zero sonic um, unintended consequences. Uh, it tracks better. You don't get that pitch variation uh, where the you know you're actually accelerating as you go up and down the warp. So on classical music, music that has a lot of sustained notes, it stays true to pitch. So there's a lot of upsides, um, but people do need to know that there are risks, even with a really great, well-designed machine like the Orb, that there could be some you know un unfortunate outcomes. I've had one or two very thin, like the Dynaflex 120 gram records where during the flattening process, it actually softened it too far. And I'm talking out of thousands of records, just a handful of them did not respond well and, and ultimately w weren't improved. But again, those tend to be ones that were a lost cause anyhow. Um, so some things to be aware of. I have seen these, um, I'll call them pizza bag flatteners, for lack of a better term. In the bag, where you put them in the bag and you have them uh, for seven hours. I've seen results from this and I was like, oh, wow. In, in a positive way, Nadine? Not in a positive way. Oh, not in a positive way. Like like you, you could really tell it was warped, but it wasn't so bad anymore. But it yeah. was kind of results were like, oh, Instead of buying such a thing, I would say find a service like yours where you can send in these 10, 20 records issues you have and get them flattened professionally instead of using this kind of things. Some people say they have great results with it, but from what I've seen, uh, a friend of mine bought this thing with the, in the back. It, the results went so good, not in my opinion. I think anytime you're heating the entire record uniformly, you, you increase mm -hmm. the risk of unfavorable results. Yep. Um, so if anybody is interested in experimenting with DIY approach or using lower cost solutions, I mean, the orbs are expensive. Um, they're $1,500 US. I'm not sure what the uh, they cost in the EU, but um, that's that's a heavy lift for people who just want flat records. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'm seeing more and more brand new pressings come through Warped. It's really frustrating. Um, I, I, I splurged um, last year and I bought the Riverside Recordings, the analog production, Bill Evans, Riverside Recording box set 22 albums or records in the box set across seven uh well, excuse me 11 albums all but a, a few of them were warped and this was a really expensive box set it was almost a thousand dollars us um and i've had several other clients who've, who've had to ship me their entire box set as part of one of their orders and they're adding you know another twenty dollars to have them cleaned and flattened to the already significant purchase price but you know, it's it's one of those limitations, like Paul said, we, we, we love an imperfect medium um, and it's just one of those things we've got to manage the best that we can. Make sure you're storing your records well. Um, what's best practice for storage records? We'll just look behind Nadine and Paul. Uh, well organized, of course, is helpful, but standing upright, not too crowded. Don't pack yeah. them in there. Make sure they have a little bit of room um, and make sure that when you're pulling them in and out of your shelves that you're not struggling to get them out because, you know, that just uh, increases your chance of a mis uh, handling mishap. 
Yeah. Wow. Steve, what was the worst case of uh, record saving you ever got? So this, oh, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, and it, it was early uh, in PVF's existence. Um, guy contacted me. He had some records that he and his brother owned together as a kid. And unfortunately, his brother, who was very close, was uh, killed in a motorcycle accident. And um, there was some tension between the widow and the family and everything. But finally, the widow said, you can have my husband's records. And he gave them back to his brother. And he said, look, I, these these look pretty bad. Um, just do whatever you can. They have an enormous sentimental value. So I get them. And... <laughs> near and dear to my heart because when i was a very young you know grade school or, or you know six seven eight year old my first favorite band was kiss i mean how could you not some of the most exciting you know imagery associated with some you know fairly basic rock and roll music uh but you know you're young you get excited you like it most of these are kiss albums some alice cooper albums and they were oh, they were not in good shape they weren't stored well there was mold issues a um, lot of surface contaminants. Um, but because of the backstory and because, you know, I remember being a kid listening to the exact same albums, I really went um, all out on these and I was able to get every single one of them playable again. Now, wow. they weren't, still had a lot of what we call Rice Krispies, snack, snap, crackle, and pop. Um, but you know what? He just, it was so important not to go out and spend $7 to get a replacement copy on Discogs, but the very records that they had as they were air guitaring and air drumming to those records as kids, he needed those to be able to be played and we were able to deliver. So um, that's one of my, uh, you know, more uh, heartwarming uh, jobs that we received. And uh, that, was, that was really nice to be able to reconnect him with, unfortunately, his deceased brother. Right. Another question, sort of flattening again, which comes to my mind is now, if I get a, a, a flattened record, is this now a decrease uh, uh, in, in value? I don't think so. I mean, how can a record that is flattened and runs true on the surface of the platter of the turntable, how is that less valuable than a record that has visible and potentially uh, you know, um, sound altering properties during playback? Um, as long as the records flatten properly, as long as there's no unintended outcomes of the flattening process, I can't see how a flattened record is not anything but more valuable than, than a uh, warped record. Exactly. I, I have the issues. Um, I, I hate to buy a lot of the records from the 70s and sometimes I get them offered sealed. And I hate to buy sealed records because most of the time when they were sealed for 40 50 years they are mm -hmm. very likely warped but yep. they are very precious records so um in my opinion is instead of putting on the weight and sometimes the warp you you can't handle this with the weight uh, um with the weight so i i go and and, and flatten them so mm -hmm. i i play them even you know that's that's the thing so always buying sealed records also old sealed records it's not always such a great deal you know so that's my experience absolutely that's uh for vintage records um we have we run into that all the time 
shrink wrap and it drives me a little bit crazy when you see listings on discogs and ebay and other places you know in original shrink well to me that's not an advantage in trying to sell the record other than yes you may have protected the record a little bit from the surface wear of the outer jacket but to me it's all about the music and the quality of the sound so i would rather have you know a blank cover uh, of a really good record than um, have a pristine cover and ha- be stuck with a warped record. Shrink wrap does one thing very, very well. It shrinks when exposed to heat. But once the heat's removed, shrink wrap will continue to shrink over time. And that's why when you look at a 20-year-old record still in shrink wrap, look at the edge and you can see it's starting to shrink so far that it's buckling the cover and eventually it will put bending stresses on the record itself. Um, The good news is they're typically not severe warps, so they might be a nice mild dish warp. And if there is an edge warp, it tends to be pretty gradual. So the likelihood of flattening them and getting success with an orb flattener is high. So they can be corrected. But people, please remove the shrink wrap from your records. Use a good quality outer sleeve. They're not expensive. Um, and it does everything that original shrink wrap uh, advertised records would do. And you don't have any of the downsides. Correct. Yeah, I, I uh, was offered a, a record in shrink wrap and I said, oh, great. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to open it up and play it. And the seller said, no, I'm not going to sell you the record because you're so decreasing the value of the record that I'm not selling it to you. What so, value is there in a record in a record that's not heard? I, I know I know I have a unique position. I'm more of an audiophile than a record collector. To me, bear with me. This is going to be a strange uh, a strange explanation. Bear with me until I play a record. Records are a hassle. They're a nuisance. They're heavy. They take up a lot of space. Um, yes, they have value to them, but. To me, the the real value is like last night. I, I had a I had an evening where I didn't have any obligations. Um, I was downstairs on in my main reference system. Uh, may have had a, a couple of cocktails and nice dim room, and I was just doing focused listening uh, to to my music, yeah. sourced from a record. But it's really focused on the music. And to me, that's where the payoff all is. That's why I don't mind having the space that I dedicate to my records, which isn't a, a huge collection, but it's significant enough. Um, you know, all the downsides, all this crazy cleaning business and care. And then of course, we haven't talked about, you know, the equipment to actually reproduce the sound and every yeah. little rabbit hole you can go down there. All that is a hassle and an expense until you hear those notes and you hear them in ways that you haven't heard them before and you are just completely taken away by the music. That's what I strive for. And that's where Perfect Vinyl Forever and good rec- home cleaning record pre- home record cleaning practices can really help audiophiles and music lovers alike enjoy their experiences even further than they do today. Indeed. And I would like to add to, to what Steve said because... In many ways, this hobby, this passion, this collection, collecting uh, passion that we have, it's a rabbit hole in itself Mm -hmm. because it's a journey and we need to stick to this term. It's a journey. It's a learning curve. Uh, It's a process where you understand, you read, you inform yourself, you read some 
BS over the internet. You trust it for a while, then you give up on it because it's not worth it to to take it uh, into consideration and so on. You end up upgrading your system. Uh, you, for example, I have a wallet tractor that it's on the way to to my address. I'm waiting for it because uh, I have. 50s, 60s records that I understand from uh, um, the owner, the Wally uh, tractor uh, designer. I understood that the very old records need to have a different setup on the cartridge to to be properly uh, read. So half of the uh, Wally tractor is split uh, for very old records that have a different setup for being read. This is one of the topics that I ended up ordering the Wally tractor, for example. But also, uh, if you read about cartridges and the uh, cartridge setup, you understand that a very, very wrong setup of your cartridge will end up uh, with end you up uh, having uh, grooves uh, being uh, distorted in some way. So I don't know, destroyed, uh, affected. In so it's many, many uh, things that corroborate and they get together into one big uh, bubble of fears when you talk about preserving your record. Okay. That's why people want to have a record in shrink because they think about all these kind of issues that they faced until they got and they ended up with a proper system where they know exactly if the record is fine or not just by listening to it. Mm -hmm. They had a very long way to, to test and to understand exactly how to understand the music coming out of a record. So that it, in, it's, again, my opinion that people, that's why they want to have a shrink uh, record when they purchase it and they want to make sure that nobody else I don't know interfered with the record in ways that they did not uh, agree to, to, to see if I agree I records, you know you see videos all the time with people taking out records by hand uh, touching them in ways that make you cringe and uh, things like that it's all this passion that gets uh, gets linked to, to our um, our experience you know, when trying to filter through, you know, advice specifically on the internet, um, what worked one person's observations aren't always going to translate to your experiences. Exactly. Um, that's why focusing on credible sources for what to do and what not to do um, is really instrumental. Don't try to ex experiment, find a good process and stick to it. Um, Paul, you brought up a really good topic as far as record care, and it doesn't have anything to do with the record itself, but it has to do with what is tracked on the record, and that's our yeah. cartridge and stylus. Um, a lot of damage can be done quickly if you have a worn or damaged stylus on your cartridge. Um, so you want to make sure cartridge care and stylus care is part of your cleaning regimen. And you can start very simply. It doesn't require much. But if you get a dedicated cleaning solution and a dedicated record cleaning brush or a stylus brush, um, just every couple of sides, just wet the stylus going back to front with the brush that's in the solution and then using this smaller, more dense brush to gently pull forward to uh, give a little scrubbing, light scrubbing action to your stylus will help keep your stylus in good condition, last longer and not damage your records. Before each play, I also recommend these, uh, these stylus cleaners. 
I happen to prefer the DS Audio because I like its slim profile, but the Anzao Zero Dust is another good solution. If you just dab your stylus onto the surface of this cleaning gel, um, it will take any surface dust that it picked up from the last play and make sure that it's not transferred to the next record or impacting sonic quality. If you wanna go a little uh, higher end, still not terribly expensive, I actually like this small device. Yes, uh, it's, exactly. It's On a, my list. It's a Flux Hi-Fi motorized stylus cleaner with a little light to so help you line it up. Um, I use a syringe. I take a little bit of the last cleaner, put it on the pad of the ultrasonic uh, stylus cleaner. Not ultrasonic, it's sonic. It runs at about 400 hertz. Um, leave it on there for 15 seconds or so, and then you're good to go. I do this before every listening session um, uh, because I'm cleaning the stylus as it, as it uh, accumulates you know, different particles. The one nice thing I can say about having really well cleaned records is you have to clean your stylus less frequently, and then um, it's gonna let your stylus last longer. I have a Lira Delos cartridge on my reference system here in the PVF processing room, so I can do quality control checks. I have 3000 hours on that stylus. I had just sent it in for professional cleaning, uh, and there is zero indication of wear. Another thing that contributes to that and can really impact your records is the proper vertical tracking force. Yeah. Uh, so you'll want to understand how to adjust your tone arm so that the amount of weight that presses on the cartridge and the stylus is correct for that particular um, cartridge. Um, and it varies based on, you know, um, if it's a vintage cartridge new in, in the manufacturer. You can easily get these digital scales I really like the one I got with my AMG turntable um, because it does have this offset spot where you actually measure your stylus weight. And that has two benefits. One, when this is on the platter, this becomes very close to the surface of the record. So you yep. can dial it in just a little more precisely. But it's also nice with moving coil cartridges because if you're using a traditional digital gauge um, and you put a moving coil cartridge on it, the magnetism in the cartridge can throw off the weight measurement by a little bit. It's not significant. It still work, but mm -hmm. I just like that little extra um, precision when I'm setting my, my vertical tracking force. Um, and other than that, making sure, kind of going back to Paul's statement, he's getting an alignment protractor, um, making sure that your your cartridge is properly aligned, um, both the vertical tracking angle and the azimuth. Um, that's going to pay huge benefits in extending the life of your, your records, um, you know, over time. So it's, it's really good practice to pay as much attention to, to that as you do for the care and handling of the records themselves. I have a question about the Onzo. As far as I know, there's a channel on YouTube, which is called Vinyl Attack. I think there was some, I wouldn't say controversy about the Onzo, but um, I think there was some problems with, from, from this is a kind of fluid gale thing. So if you put the stylist on it and it got some residue from, from this material, which was on the Onzo, on the, on the needle from the, from the cartridge. So just like record cleaning, stylus care is not a one-step process for the most effective results. It would have been too easy, Steve. It would have been. I thought with my degritter, I have the perfect solution. I put it in, I clean it a few times, I play it. Now I have to consider a pre-cleaning process, two tanks, 
um, another brush and cleaning fluid from my cartridge. So, yes, well, it's, it's a it's a journey. You know, people start. Yeah. Uh, you're already starting from a, a very good position, Nadine. I'm sure your records are really well cared for today. Um, and it's just as how far do you want to take it? Um, some people are going to become way too obsessive over, over their equipment or their records to never actually enjoy the music. And I, I, I don't think that should be the goal. Um, find something that's suitable for you with your budget and the ability to commit time to it and then be OK with that. And then if you get in a position where you want to see what the next step or the next level and the benefits that it could bring, well, then add, you know, a nice degrader. Or if you haven't got a vacuum record cleaning machine yet, try that out uh, and, and see where it takes you. But also, you know, be happy achieving a, a plateau as well and just trust your process and enjoy listening. Absolutely. I'm quite sure that everyone who purchases different kind of objects related to vinyl collecting. It's also looking at uh, uh, the gains that he gets from buying that uh, object, either if it's for, I don't know, a tool for uh, uh, calibrating the arm or whatever, uh, vinyl cleaning machine, different kind of, uh, um, yeah, articles that may improve your, uh, your life experience while listening to music, uh, chairs, because now we live in an age where uh, you need to stand uh, to, to stay in a specific position. Uh, while in the past years, we didn't even were uh, we were not even aware about the imaging of the mm -hmm. the sound. Uh, it's many other aspects that come into place. And when you have somebody visiting you and they hear that you have a record cleaning machine, probably that is the face of a cringed guy looking at you because he didn't even imagine that you, you can have a record cleaning machine nowadays. So from this perspective, we are living a really, a, a really a golden age of uh, uh, record playing. It yes, wasn't playing, but not buying, Paul, not buying. The vinyl price increased to, yeah. uh, to a point where I say it's sometimes ridiculous. I bought a record two, three years ago for $20 and it's now 100 hmm. Definitely. It's it's an issue. But this yeah. is how internet works. This is how I'm, I'm working in IT. I'm a, I'm a delivery manager in consulting area for, uh, for a company. So I watch each and every day how things get viralized, spiralized in some way and you end up with a, a, an enormous price, a gigantic price, even for services in IT area. So you get these kind of things all the time because we are living in an interconnected world where everyone wants to have something at the, at the click of a button uh, eventually delivered in three days. Not even three days anymore because we need to wait. Uh, now we know that after COVID passed, uh, delivery services are more and more uh, difficult to to achieve this kind of uh, uh, quick delivery. So in this perspective, I would say that we were never so much better than we are now. I mean, we are in the, in the pinnacle of uh, clean records, uh, cleaning solutions, uh, and we are listening to 50 years old vinyl sometimes, okay? It wasn't the case for us to, to listen uh, two years record in 1980 or 1990 if we were that late in buying CDs. <laughs> but uh, 
we are living better from this perspective in uh, in listening to to vinyl records i would say so we shouldn't be that afraid of destroying records just by um, using a spleen clean or uh, i don't know um, ultrasonic cleaning machine or things like this even uh, even sub substances i'm quite sure that they will not dissolve the the record in in one shot it's just a journey and we need to get acquainted with there, there really are no detergents or surfactants that you would typically use to clean records that will destroy the record itself. I, I yeah. think that's overblown. I think that's inaccurate. And exactly. I think that's largely propagated by people who have a solution where they really can't use any type of detergent or surfactant in their process. You know, some machines, you just ultrasonic record cleaning machines you just can't use that you can use detergents and surfactants with with um all rec um, vacuum record cleaning machines um uh, but it really it really boils down to you have to get all those cleaning agents off so that it doesn't get into the groove and re and and uh, start to accumulate more grit and grime and then uh, then it becomes very difficult to remove so best practices for a degritter if if you're not gonna rinse, then only use distilled water to clean your records. Because you won't have downsides for, uh, for using the um, detergent. If you want to get better results and are willing to either find a different way to rinse your records or get to um, two of their uh, uh, tanks, then have one tank for with some cleaning detergents and use as little as possible to get the best effect too concentrated is going to just make it more difficult to rinse. Uh, and then swap your tanks and then and clean your records. And you want to rinse right after you clean because the more you, that uh, cleaning agent can, can dry on the record, the harder it is to really effectively rinse it. So make sure you don't clean a bunch of records, you know, clean 16 records, have them sitting aside, swap tanks, and then rinse. You want to go back and forth. Again, a little more effort, a little more expense, um, but you'll have, you know, noticeably better outcomes by doing so. Uh, I, I have two things to, to add, and maybe uh, Steve may offer us uh, an explanation. So recently, Nadine showed me a video from a guy that, okay, he works for a store, he cleans records, he has his experience, um, and he mentioned something that I found it interesting, but it i don't know it makes sense in a way but i i, I hardly see it uh, happening he's mentioning and this is maybe getting viralized now because in the vc because uh, people see that and maybe they they have a second look and a second thought about it okay so i'm mentioning it he mentions that if you have a bubble stuck in the record that may get the record have a local explosion and pop up the, the the bubble while you are running the ultrasonic cleaning process. I out I, of nearly out of nearly a hundred thousand records that we've cleaned for clients, I've never come across anything like that. I do know what he's referring to because if you look at some records, you can see some pimples or some bumps. Yep. But the the implosion intensity of ultrasonic uh, record cleaning uh, cavitation is not so great that it's going to be able to break a barrier of the film of vinyl. 
vinyl is a tough material. I know we idealize our records and we want to take the best care of them, but it, it actually is a tough material. Um, so to think that a implosion from even like a 35 or 40 kilohertz um, ultrasonic cavitation process is going to remove the vinyl that, that covers the bubble, mm -hmm. I would say that's a one in a million chance to put a number to it. So I think that's overblown and more theoretical than practical advice. He went even further. He was mentioning that actually, if I understood correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nadine, he was saying something like, okay, the ultrasonic wave will make somehow the bubble spin inside the the the, the record and pop out the from the from the record which i find it i don't know it's sci-fi to me but it, it, it really doesn't make sense if this is what he was mentioning there correct nadine i understood yeah. correctly he, he said ultrasonic cleaning could destroy a record yeah. if i understood it correctly yeah so okay it maybe we got, yeah it, it can in some extreme cases so if you have poor quality ultrasonic uh, generating equipment um, and if you're not rotating your records through uh, the ultrasonic bath, you can get what's called cavitational burn on the surface of the record. Um, you can see this if you put, um, like if you're cleaning metal parts in a low frequency, like a 40 kilohertz machine, um, if you put it in its static, you'll see little pinholes develop on the surface of the metal. So if, if you don't have good ultrasonics and if you don't have a good process where it rotates, then you can get some standing waves and you can get you know little pin indentations in your record. Rest assured, all of the commercially available record cleaning machines spin at an effective rate, so you're not gonna be subjected to that, that type of damage. Um, I've during my experimentation phase six years ago, I intentionally burned some records just so I know what was going on um, and what the threshold was, what was the danger threshold. The lower the frequency, the more chance that you'll, you can have that. But again, I'm not worried about it, whether you have a humming guru or you have a Kermis machine, Kale Audio, et cetera. They spin at an acceptable rate to avoid prolonged impact from hot spots in the tank. But the better designed tanks, the better designed electronics that drive the ultrasonic transducers, minimize and have greater diffusion and coverage in the tank, and the higher frequencies lessen that. So, um, so a degrader at 120 kilohertz, I think it'd be nearly impossible to have cavitation burn under those circumstances. Now, as far as ultrasonic activity, um, getting transmitted to an air pocket in a record and then causing that to explode out. Yeah. If that's even possible, one in a million chance, um, ca cavitation needs to happen in a liquid. It doesn't happen in the air. And what he's saying is you're transferring waves in a liquid to the exactly. surface of the bubble, which agitates the air and it causes an implosion. I can't see that logically happen um, because the air does not cavitate, only exactly. water. I even yeah. mentioned that when I saw the video, so I don't yeah. see a link between that and uh, yeah. anything we else. We discussed this for, for a long time because I was kind of, I wouldn't say shocked, but I was irritated because I've never heard that before. And if you, yeah. uh, that's how I understand it. If you can destroy 
uh, records with ultrasonic. This was new to me, and so we've 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 discussed this very, very much. Yes, I indeed, yeah. degreeter and like any other machine will need to be I don't know overlooked from time to time and see um, if the machine still works from the rotation perspective because that may end up you in a bad situation where you lose the record and probably this is a takeaway because Steve mentioned this and probably I've seen this on some Kermas uh, audio uh, presentation on tracking angle from uh, uh, Michael Framer where he was talking about how it works Again, he was showing um, um, an aluminium foil that gets bombarded by uh, uh, air and so on. So that is a great tip because probably we all look at the record when it's getting uh, its rotations. Yeah. It's safe. So it's e okay. Even at 120 kilohertz, let's say your record rotating mechanism stalls, malfunctions, yeah. and you have a record in a cleaning cycle, even at 120 kilohertz, I think the, the likelihood of it doing cavitational burn is very unlikely. Down at 40 kilohertz, it would have to be pretty extreme, but the, your risks go up. You know, talking about Hermes and, and his, you know, disc, uh, aluminum foil disc that he uses to show evidence of cavitation, at lower frequencies, it will dent and ultimately penetrate aluminum foil. Yes, that is proof that it's cavitating at 40 kilohertz. It's also yeah. proof of the potential risks that could happen to, you, to the record itself. He goes on to say, he uses the same test at a higher frequency machine. It doesn't dimple the, the aluminum foil. And he says it's not cavitating. Well, I disagree. It is cavitating. You can get, they're very expensive. They're about $5,000 US. You can get a cavitation meter to ensure yeah. that you have a nicely distributed cavitational cloud in your tank, um, look for hot spots, et cetera. There is cavitation still happening at, at 80, 120, 135, 220, et cetera, but it's so gentle that it's not causing the indentations in the aluminum. That does not evidence that there's lack of cavitation. That's just applying a test in the wrong environment. Yes. And again, uh, a shout out to everyone who is technical enough in order to make a video, anyone in the VC, if they can take a video within uh, the, the degreeter tank of what is happening, that would be greatly appreciated and probably will take out many of the suspicions that flow, are floating in the air or whatever. So if somebody can catch up the, an image of what is happening inside, maybe we will be talking less uh, uh, empirical about uh, this uh, magic toy that is covered with uh, metal uh, all around. Honestly, Paul, I, Sorry. I understand your point. Um, I think you'll be disappointed. There's nothing to see here. Um, <laughs> exactly. There's nothing, there's nothing to witness. Um, people, everybody, vinyl community, trust what you hear. Use your yeah. common sense and use your ears to be the ultimate determination of is this improving my listening experience your ears are one of the most sensitive instruments or senses that you have on your body um, it is incredibly uh, sensitive to things like directionality timing phase accuracy you can easily tell reproduce sound from natural sound hi-fi audio file that's all about getting reproduce sounds to be as natural as real sounds made directly from the instruments. We'll never get there, but mm -hmm. 
but each incremental step is so much fun when you hear those outcomes um, during your listening sessions. So trust your ear. Um, I've had clients who use my process and, and I send them back and they said, I'm really not hearing a big difference that's okay. Then you probably don't need other than just to maintain your records. You don't need to optimize them for sound. If you don't hear it, you don't hear it. The majority do um, based by the, uh, the, the ratio of repeat orders that we get. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of testimonials online about people who, who do have a record cleaning process. They are hearing the benefits. They're able to articulate the changes in the sound and to prove it to people Paul and Nadine, when we were at Expona, which is the second largest uh, audiophile of trade show, the, first, the, the biggest being Munich High End, um, we rented a room. We had a very nice uh, reference level system set up, and I had brought 70 titles, two copies of each record. One was cleaned on a five-step process with a vacuum record cleaning machine. And I did that because it represents where most of my clients are yep. in their record journey. And then we had a second copy of, you know, of the record that we clean here. I ordered the records at the same time. They likely came sequentially out of, you know, the, the crate. They probably came off the press sequentially. So it's about as close as apples to apples comparison as you can get. I would play the vacuum cleaned track. I would then play the the uh, ultrasonic PVF archival process track. And people could hear in near real time the differences. And almost everybody could articulate, wow, this is different here. This is improved there. Um, I had a very experienced industry veteran in my room and I played uh, the uh, um, Analog Productions, uh, Doors, L.A. Woman album, um, Riders on the Storm, which has a lot of real subtleties way down in the mix. He's like, it sounded like a different drum kit from the, wow. the first playing to the second playing. And then people then focus on the details. Ultimately, you want to get past like the sonic differences and just absorb how is that music affecting me different, differently? Am I getting closer to the artist's intent? Am I experiencing that in the studio experience? That's where uh, a journey in hi-fi and records and record optimization can take you. Yeah, exactly, exactly what you're saying, because it's always likely to happen if you're not having like a system at home where you are even able to hear the certain things in the record. So, mm -hmm. and if you clean it and you get it back and you still have the same system, there might be uh, certain things. I brought a record to a friend of mine who has a high-end system. Uh, and I was like, oh, I didn't hear that. I didn't even know that existed that part. Oh, and the middle range is totally different. So it always depends also on the system you're using, at least in my opinion. Absolutely. It, it does. Um, you know, you'll have a more lifelike experience the more sophisticated your equipment is. But I want to I want to assure your audience, you don't need, you know, a, a, a ten a ten thousand dollar, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar system to experience the benefits of really well cleaned records. I contend that if you have a, like an entry level audiophile grade turntable, something in the range of uh, about a thousand US for the turntable and the cartridge, and you have a fairly decent phono stage, you can easily hear the differences between 
uh, a previously uncleaned record and a newly cleaned record. And I'm talking above and beyond surface noise. I'm talking about that sonic optimization. That's like the next stage uh, that you get with ultrasonic cleaning, degridders, et cetera. Yes. And uh, in addition to this, I would say that uh, the, um, uh, the experience that I had with the old Japanese presses was uh, I had a second look all the time when I was dropping the needle. I had a second look if I dropped the needle because I couldn't hear the, uh, the record being hit by the needle. This is the first experience that I had after cleaning the records with the degreeter. They get so quiet that you don't know if you are listening to a CD, of course, keeping the proportions because the CD may be, I don't know, limited in some way in frequencies and so on. Mm -hmm. However, the sound is improved, is vastly improved, and I'm mentioning Japanese records, especially because of the quality of the vinyl that they had and the ways to treat it. If there was, I don't know, they had different kind of methods and different kind of surfaces that got treated in some ways, uh, the so-called uh, red records, uh, the translucent one that are yeah. the initially UHQRs that they... JDC brought that up. Yes, yes, yes. So. Uh, that is the first place where you can test if your record is properly cleaned. Because in on the newer ones, I don't know, there may be a pressing issue. You can hear some whooshes on, on mm. the record when, I don't know, different kind of stuff. But on the Japanese ones, I never have an issue if the record is cleansed well. So that is uh, is what, uh, what I experienced, and I'm terribly happy with that. <laughs> So, Paul, you, br you brought up uh, some of the variability that we encounter uh, when we want to optimize a record. Uh, and you're 100% spot on. Vinyl formulation from 1948 to 2023 20, uh, is very different for a number of reasons. They, they make advances, uh, but then also some of the chemicals used early on are no longer available uh, due to their downsides you know their their environmental impact for instance exactly health and safety reasons um as you know everybody the industry learns about what's acceptable and, and you know um outlaws things that are detrimental that also exists so we don't know what the base overall um material is not exactly uh, but then we can't truly identify what the contaminants are either. And that both of those things are examples of why a good process where different steps address the variability in the material that we're cleaning um, to get the best potential outcomes. Now that's why at PVF we have an eight step process for our archival 3.0 uh, 3.2 service we're up to. And then, you know, as mentioned, disaster recovery is a three-step process, but it's leveraging time exposure to, to get its benefits. Um, so it can be pretty tricky. But again, if we start tying this back to a logical process, if I do this, it's going to affect this. Con if I do this in this way at this point in the uh, process, it's going to bring these benefits. The next step should counteract anything from the previous step. Uh, and then address potentially different issues, and then the next step, and then ultimately, once you're done and dried your record, and you can enjoy it. Um, so start thinking in that regard. Again, you can start stringing together some of this advice that's all over the internet. Some of it is credible and logical. Some of it doesn't make any doggone sense at all. Um, that's up to you to kind of connect the dots and, and figure out you know, what works for you.
Definitely, definitely. Well, one thing I would like to add that I have certain records that definitely will hit your door uh, quite soon, uh, Steve, because I'm really curious. We kept talking even on uh, on uh, on Discord uh, mm-hmm. several months ago uh, through Danny's channel. So mm-hmm. I'm extremely curious if it gets how much, uh, I don't know, what is the improvement level? How better can I get for the difficult ones where you championed very well uh, on, on these results? So Sure, sure. I'm going to do the impossible and try and quantify good sound. <laughs> so yes. uh, so bear this is not exact numbers, but this is just an analogy. So um, if you are ultrasonic cleaning at home, let's start with vacuum. If you're cleaning uh, your records with a good process using a vacuum record cleaning machine, I would say you're getting about 20% to ideal. Yeah. And that would be in surface noise reduction. If you are only ultrasonic cleaning using distilled water and no detergents, I think that gets you to the 40% of ideal. Um, still, still good improvements, but there's a ways that you can go to get even better improvements. If you are cleaning and then effectively rinsing uh, records or ultrasonic cleaning uh, with detergents and surfactants and then rinsing them very, very well, I think that gets you to maybe that 50, 60% of ideal. Um, So, and then if you go even further, you have a dedicated ultrasonic uh, cleaning machine, dedicated ultrasonic rinsing machine, and you know, you got, again, good process, good chemicals, good water quality, you know, that gets you back up to the 60, 75% of ideal. And then when you completely lose your mind and go crazy with a record cleaning process and building your equipment, uh, you know, that's when you get closer to that, that optimal state. And even I'm not at that optimal state. You know, we constantly iterate and innovate at PVF because A, we build our own equipment and we can test and we don't have to worry about the constraints of manufacturing equipment, shipping equipment, warranty, service, you know, the practical use within a home environment. We're able to do anything within reason that that we think might bring benefits. Um, yeah. and, and we do that all the time. So it, it, it's a fun journey and I'm always looking to extend uh, or, or raise the bar of the ideal process for people. And I think, Paul, this would be great for a part two of our discussion. We almost, we, I think we wrap it up. We are almost now on two hours. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there was, it was absolutely fun. And Steve uh, and Paul, I hope you are able to and, and willing uh, to do a second part of this because I enjoyed it tremendously. And I think everybody who's watching this will enjoy this tremendously as we are also talking about budget uh, solutions and uh, also what's what's uh, um, yes available for people so if you're guys up to it i would love to do a part two absolutely that. to be honest yeah. I, I when i when i've seen or when i have seen uh, paul read the uh, interview i said okay what is there to discuss further i mean uh, the guy basically tried pretty much everything that I also imagined that I should try. He went even further than myself, uh, than, than I did. So I said, okay, we will have this uh, this show. Okay, let's see how it goes. But then Steve got in with his experience, 
Uh, it was, uh, um, as always, when each time I see Steve uh, presenting his solution, it's always interesting and fun to to see that they imagine in their uh, industrialized process things that we sometimes touch, but not all the time, and we don't get to experience because it's too difficult for us at home as being home users to experience this kind of process and it's troublesome and uh, I don't know, time wasting and so on. But I'm really glad and I would have a second part anytime because definitely there are things to be discussed. Indeed. A very fun conversation. I hope it was uh, very helpful for your, your audience, Absolutely. Nadine. Um, thanks for having us on and I absolutely look forward to the next time where we can get together and, and talk about all things records. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Nadine. Thank you, Steve. Take care. We do hope you enjoyed our latest episode of the Violent Community Podcast. Stay tuned for other exciting episodes.